Thank you, and good to be here with you this evening. And I know it's a struggle to keep these Sunday night services going, and we pray that uh, Christians will want to worship the Lord, and uh, everybody has their style, but uh, to uh, miss out on seeking the Lord and uh, growing in Him is uh, something that... um, uh, a lot of people are doing it. It's hard to even nowadays, uh, a lot of pastors will tell you that uh, even getting people regular on Sunday morning is uh, n- not doing too well these days. So we ought to pray for revival and that the Holy Spirit would move in hearts and that we would see God for who he is and to put Christ where he should be, number one in our lives and uh, on the throne. And so uh, this evening I thought about... Uh, what should I share? And uh, uh, I decided to share some thoughts, reflections on the Ten Commandments on Father's Day. And as we think about Father's Day, uh, you've probably been thinking about it today and hopefully celebrating the fathers in your lives. And uh, the uh, emphasis of Scripture is uh, what we see in the culture around us, that fathers are important. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, we... uh, Consider God our heavenly father, and so he is the greatest example of fatherhood. And uh, in uh, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus said, Therefore you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. We serve a perfect heavenly father, but the children aren't always perfect. And uh, certainly God's children were all saved by grace, and uh, yet uh, he's laid down some principles for successful living. And before I get uh, uh, into looking at the Ten Commandments this evening, I just uh, wanted to share. Uh, it seems like uh, the longer I'm around, I uh, come across more of the rich Christian heritage, even here in the central Pennsylvania. And I've actually been giving some messages on uh, the Christian impact of uh, people in, in central Pennsylvania that have had a strong testimony for Christ over the centuries. And uh, one of them... Uh, came to mind again last month. Uh, you might not have even noticed it, but they celebrated the 150th anniversary of the Transcontinental Railroad and the railroad that connected the East Coast and the West Coast, and that was a major accomplishment. Uh, we don't think anything of even flying from coast to coast now, but in those days, uh, that was a major uh, accomplishment, and it was a cause for great celebration. And as I saw, the U.S. Postal Service put out a nice sheet of stamps. Anybody saw those stamps on the Transcontinental Railroad? Uh, If you like stamps, uh, real nice, a couple of of, uh, locomotives and uh, all embossed with gold, the stamps were. And so it was a really nice sheet of stamps to celebrate that 150th anniversary in uh, May. And uh, uh, but we have a connection here in Milton with the Transcontinental Railroad, of all things. And uh, that uh, was uh, Governor James Pollock. You may have heard his name before, and uh, you connect him, hopefully, with In God We Trust, because he was the director of the Mint uh, when In God We Trust was first put on the coins during the Civil War. And so they almost, uh, maybe somebody has a big uh, savings account here would like to start the the In God We Trust Museum in Milton. They tried to do a museum in Milton on In God We Trust, but uh, there wasn't enough financial support to do something like that. But uh, the one who was born in Milton and his grave is there is Governor James Pollock. And he had been a congressman 
for six years before becoming the governor of Pennsylvania. Uh, another uh, connection to him is uh, Penn State University. He was the governor who signed the charter for Penn State University and was on the first board of trustees. And the main road on campus is Pollock Road, and there's Pollock Hall, and there's Pollock Commons at Penn State, uh, all uh, in honor of Governor James Pollock, our 13th governor. And then uh, while he was a congressman, he boarded in a boarding house with six other anti-slavery congressmen, including Abe Lincoln. So they became friends. And that's why uh, after he was governor and after he started Penn State, uh, Governor Pollock was appointed as director of the Mint uh, under uh, Abe Lincoln. And uh, it was while he was director of the Mint that In God We Trust was put on the coins. But back while he was a congressman from Northumberland County, uh, he uh, uh, was uh, head of a committee that uh, dealt with two things and that he promoted. One was the Transcontinental Railroad, and he predicted... Uh, this was before it had been completed or even uh, it was still being promoted. And uh, so he became a promoter of the Transcontinental Railroad and predicted that it would be finished in 25 years from when he made his prediction. And it actually was finished in 20 years. And because he had been involved in helping fund it through Congress and then uh, promoting the idea, uh, he was invited to some of the ceremonies out on the West Coast when they celebrated the completion of that railroad system. And so... Uh, Governor Pollock, another illustration of uh, people who have followed Christ uh, in our area before us and an example that we ought to do likewise in our time. And uh, actually, one of the, probably one of the major things that he did, uh, even though these things are, are pretty impressive, uh, was, he was, uh, on the, uh, he was the vice president of the board of the American Sunday School Union for 35 years of his life. And the American Sunday School Union was started uh, because in those days they had the, the thought that the children weren't learning the Bible and they needed to be educated in the Bible and so we needed to start Sunday schools. Well, we're still talking about that, aren't we? How to get the, uh, the message to the children, the young people. But that's why the American Sunday School Union was started and they started uh, Sunday schools all over the territories, some places in uh, rural areas where there were no churches. The Sunday schools became, uh, later on became churches. Uh, but uh, that was something he was so committed to. He was the vice president of that organization. And perhaps hundreds, maybe even thousands of Sunday schools were started up uh, during his time of tenure there. Uh, so a little bit more about our history here. And... and uh, uh, I could go on all, all night about some of the interesting things I've come across lately, and uh, uh, that's for another evening maybe. But uh, tonight we want to reflect on the uh, Ten Commandments from a perspective of Father's Day and how important fathers are and their influence and impact. And we hear even in the uh, current times of the uh, lack of, of uh, fatherly leadership uh, being so important, and studies have done, been done to show that most people in prison are there, uh, didn't have a, either had an absent father uh, or uh, abusive father and uh, or no father figure in their lives to guide them, and uh, uh, a high percentage of prisoners. That's, uh, but many problems that people have uh, can be traced to a connection uh, to the setting of not having a father in the home. And we, we understand that, uh, you know, even uh, for without any cause of the individuals, sometimes uh, a father dies or other reasons uh, that uh, there's no father figure there. 
it is helpful to find someone to try to fill in that slot, but it's so important uh, that uh, fatherhood uh, makes an impact. And we'll see as we go through the Ten Commandments that it's pointed out even of how uh, one generation affects the next. And that's what uh, the importance of fathers is, is, is raising up the next generation and how significant it is that we have a generation where fatherhood has been neglected or put down or, or uh, abandoned in many uh, things today. But, uh, so we want to look at this uh, passage. Uh, uh, first of all, again, before I talk about the Ten Commandments, these aren't how you get to heaven, all right? Uh, we need to always remember when we read the laws of God uh, that uh, it's not God's laws that get us to heaven, is it? It's the Savior. Jesus Christ. And so as uh, we look at the laws, we find out, uh-oh, we're a lawbreaker and, uh, and we need help because we're not going to make it. Uh, I uh, spoke with a Muslim uh, young man at a college uh, recently and uh, he said, well, God forgives those who deserve it. Okay. And he didn't want to accept that Jesus died for his sins, but that God forgives those who deserve it. Well, if, you, uh, if you've sinned, then you deserve punishment. And so we, what we deserve is what the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. And so uh, the Bible clearly says, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Uh, let's quickly look at a couple of these verses that remind us that it's not following the law that gets us to heaven, but trusting Jesus as our Savior uh, for forgiveness. And then we will look at the law as it is a helpful guideline for successful living, uh, even though it's not the basis of our salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, and uh, probably some of you could quote this, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So he says it's by grace you're saved through faith, not of yourselves. He says the works come after you're saved, not to save you or to get you right with God because you'll never do enough. Uh, There'll always be, as I shared with that Muslim man, I said, well, you know, if you just add a little bit of salt to water, uh, you get salt water. The whole, uh, if you have a glass of water and you put some salt in it, the whole water becomes salty. And it's the same way with sin. One sin makes a sinner. One sin makes us unable to stand before a holy God. And we need to have a payment for our sin or we'll pay the payment ourselves. And so the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And then over to Romans 3, uh, 19 through 20. And a lot of Romans 3 is a quote from uh, Psalm chapter 12 and 14, where he says, There's none righteous, no, not one. That's... Uh, again, what the Bible teaches, that uh, we can't be good enough to earn our salvation. But verse 19 in uh, Romans 3 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, For by the law is the knowledge of sin. And you and I probably know some people who think they're good people. Say, well, we're good people. 
but uh, that's not what the law tells us is how to be a good person. The law tells us we're not good and we're in need of a savior. If we could be good people, Jesus wouldn't have needed to die on the cross. We could just be good people and get to heaven and uh, the problem would have been solved. Uh, but uh, the law is there to tell us we're in need. We're needy people that we've broken God's standard of perfection. It's, it's a lot higher than we like to make it. Most people that think they're good people, they've drawn the, the, the mark so low, of course they can make it. They didn't ever rob a bank or, or kill somebody, and so they're, they're good people. Uh, but here it says the law tells us it doesn't... Uh, it isn't there for us to get us to heaven. It says so that all will be found, what? Guilty before God. Tonight, if you're a human being, you're guilty before God. Uh, I like to use the example of when I went door-to-door as a younger minister. I like to be called a young man, you know, we all do. And uh, I was young then. And so I knocked on a door, and a fellow opened the door, and he said, he said, young man, do I look like a sinner to you? <laughs> and... Uh, I said, well, you look like a human being. (laughs) And the Bible says all have sinned. But some people are even taught in their churches, you know, that there are some people that are sinners. They're those people over there. And we're the righteous ones. And uh, that uh, somehow they feel like they're earning their way uh, to uh, heaven. And uh, uh, the Bible declares us all guilty. And that all the world will become guilty before God. That's what the law does. It tells us we're fallen we've missed the mark just as adam and eve sinned all have sinned we're all related to adam and eve and then finally though uh, if we're not saved by what we do is what we do important yes it still is important what we do but it doesn't save us Okay, and we should strive even as that first verse in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That's the goal. We don't achieve it, but that's the goal is to strive to be like God, our heavenly father in perfection. But in Romans 6 verse 1, uh, and some people will say to you, well, if it's you don't have to work for it, uh, then, you know, you can just go and sin all you want. And uh, they think because it's all forgiven. Jesus paid for it all, so just go out and sin. And Paul had to deal with that in, in the early church. And he says in Romans 6, verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? And then uh, he says we should consider ourselves dead to sin as followers of Christ. It's, uh, you know, if we really believe Jesus saved us, he rescued us from our judgment before God, we don't want to insult him then by continuing to live in sin. If we really appreciate what forgiveness is all about, then we strive to be Christ-like. We strive to overcome our sins, uh, even though we will not achieve perfection and will continue to need uh, grace uh, in order to obtain eternal life through Christ's death and his merit, none of our own. We deserve the judgment of God. Uh, but uh, then what place does the law have? If, we, if the law doesn't get us to heaven and give us the guidelines to, to uh, have eternal life, what is the law? Well, it's, it's not only a taskmaster to bring us to repentance, but it's also there uh, to give guidelines for successful Christian living. The rules of the scripture 
are there to help us live a blessed life by God. And uh, so the Ten Commandments, I believe, are still relevant today, even though that that's not what we're judged on. We're judged on whether we accept the Savior. And, uh, uh, and the Ten Commandments are a good tool in witnessing, by the way, because uh, they point out where your sins are. You know, a, a person, you ask a person, most people you ask, you know, have you ever told a lie? And that nails them right there, okay? Uh, almost everybody. I don't know if anybody hasn't told a lie, and probably the person who said they don't tell, haven't ever told a lie, that's probably a lie, okay? So, uh, you know, and just go through the Ten Commandments. Uh, Ray Comfort with the Way of the Master, if you've heard of him. Uh, that's one of his main emphasis in sharing the gospel is get the person to feel guilty. Why would they want a Savior until they know they need a Savior? And so you need to get the person to realize they've broken the, uh, God's laws. And so the Ten Commandments are a good place to uh, bring that out. But uh, there also are guidelines there. I think Josh McDowell put it this way. He said the Ten Commandments are there uh, to protect us and to provide for us. That God has given us these guidelines to protect us from harm uh, that sinning would bring and, that, uh, and to provide for us as Christians. And so they are helpful. And so we want to look at the uh, list of the Ten Commandments back in the Old Testament. Uh, who knows what chapter we're going to look at? Exodus 20. Okay, we got some people who know that. I won't uh, pin you down on naming all ten. We'll go through them. We should know them by now, but uh, uh, memorization has become something that's not uh, as uh, utilized as perhaps we ought to uh, in our uh, scripture knowledge. And especially the young people today, I, I uh, think memorization is not emphasized enough. That uh, thy word have I put hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. If you don't hide the word in your heart, uh, then uh, it's not going to be there when you need it. And so uh, I think it's a valuable thing to do. But Exodus chapter 20, and there is another list in Deuteronomy 5 that uh, Deuteronomy is, is uh, Deutero second, the second uh, explanation of God's laws are in Deuteronomy. And so the second uh, repeat of this list of Ten Commandments is in Deuteronomy chapter 5. But uh, let's go through these. First we'll read right through the text, and then we'll go back to each commandment one by one. Uh, Gen uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to, make, uh, to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. 
Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. And so these were the commandments given on the tablets to Moses on Mount Sinai. And uh, they're still relevant today to the Christian life, to successful living. But as we think of fathers, these are the kind of things that fathers ought to... uh, uh, not only illustrate by their lives, but teach to their uh, children. And uh, there was a statistic mentioned, I think it was in the service I was in this morning, of how if you want to uh, reach people for Christ, if you reach a child, 3% of the family of that child uh, is likely also to come to faith in Christ. If you reach the mother... Uh, and I don't know, you know, who came up with this particular statistics, but it's in general, this is the rule. If you reach the mother, 17%, it said, uh, of the family members will come to Christ. But if you reach the father, 93% of the family will come to faith in Christ. And that's how important the father is in his leadership. If he'll follow God, he can make a major impact on that family. And uh, uh, so if you can reach the father... Uh, you've reached the one who the others are looking at and uh, considering in making their decision-making process. Sadly, we've become like uh, the painting of Norman Rockwell. Um, he was uh, he illustrated for the Saturday Evening Post, I think, uh, magazine, and it was a, a great illustrator. And uh, he uh, one day he put uh, a painting together with. Uh, a father sitting in, his, and I think it was supposed to be him, by the way, sitting in his uh, easy chair reading the newspaper uh, while the uh, the mother and the two children were dressed up and on their way to church, okay, <laughs> that he was going to do something that he thought was more important than church, was stay home and read the newspaper. And uh, so that's a sad commentary. That's what a lot of people think. You know, let the, the children go off and maybe the wife go off to church and the husband, you know, will do his thing. But uh, that's not God's way, and that uh, that husband is missing out as well, who doesn't follow Christ. Anyone who doesn't follow Christ is missing out in this life as well as the life to come. And certainly God designed us to worship him. And so there's a great neglect of men who think, uh, you know, God doesn't have any place in their lives. Uh, hopefully they find out sooner rather than later, and uh, that we're all accountable to God for the lives that we live. Uh, But uh, let's look at the Ten Commandments then and see uh, how uh, uh, godly fathers, but everyone, every Christian, if you you think about this for a minute, every Christian influences other people. Uh, Fathers in a special way influence in their home and with their children. And that's what we're focusing on as Father's Day, is to honor them for taking that responsibility seriously, for trying to be the best father that you can be. Uh, is uh, beneficial and a blessing to all who experience that kind of uh, godly living. But it it applies to all Christians. If a Christian will live the Christian life and be faithful to it, uh, they'll impact other people. Other people around are watching. Other people are following examples of people that are uh, 
living the way they ought to, the way God wants them to. And they're looking to see uh, how it affects you. And, and uh, in the converse, if you don't live a good Christian life and you call yourself a Christian, that affects the way people look at, at God also. They think, well, it's not that important. You know, uh, you skip church to go camping half the summer, uh, and you don't go to a worship service at the campground, and you don't even open your Bible or whatever. Uh, what does it mean to you? You know, you think uh, God is your servant, not your his, and that uh, you're on the throne, not he's on the throne. And what difference is that to a non-Christian? Uh, so many Christians, I think, are leading a bad example uh, through their lifestyle of how important God is in their lives. And we need to elevate that. We need to see not only is it important because it displeases God when he's not first in our life, but it also reduces our blessings when he's not first in our life. We may think, well, we're enjoying these fun things that we do and we ignore God, uh, but uh, we're, we're destroying other parts of our lives. We may be destroying our children. That may be the heartache that we get uh, for neglecting God and neglecting worship and, and uh, putting thing, the things of God on the, on the back burner. Uh, we don't know all the consequences, but God tells us there are consequences, and he says to follow him and put him first, and he will put us uh, in the place of blessing. So the first commandment, then, is you shall have no other gods before me. And uh, that uh, seems like a no-brainer. And actually, uh, just to, uh, for point of information, if you go to a Catholic church or you read Jewish materials, Sometimes they divide the numbers of the commandments differently. They all come out with ten, but some lump a couple of commandments together, and others uh, use this first sentence, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, as commandment number one, Uh, even though it doesn't seem like it has a command in it. uh, But uh, basically, uh, they all use these same uh, statements of God. Just if you ever told, I think the Catholics put... uh, uh, one and two together, okay? And uh, uh, so you might see a different uh, arrangement of these, but they're the same statements, and, and they seem to be pretty clearly laid out, but uh, somehow uh, their uh, lumping together is different in different uh, communities. But uh, the first one that we would call the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. And Uh, While maybe to you and I, that's a no-brainer. We believe in the God of the Bible, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God, the creator of all that exists, the Savior of the world, and uh, that he is God and God alone. Uh, But uh, uh, there's a human temptation to put other things in the place of God and other gods in the place of God or combine them together. And so in our day, um, I I get this uh, weekly a message from a football coach in the area of a, one of the universities, and he sends out you know positive thinking words, and sometimes he'll throw a Bible verse in with his uh, weekly message. But uh, uh, he's a Catholic, and he thinks his faith is pretty important, but he he's not a very good uh, student of the Bible. And so uh, on Easter time, he put out this uh, message that uh, basically, you know, however you're worshiping God, good for you. Hope you have a great uh, Easter uh, season, you know, that uh, uh, the religions have different ways of expressing it. And, you know, basically he was affirming all the other religions. And that's uh, something that's prevalent. If you go to even uh, a number of the more mainline Christian churches, they'll say, yeah, there's 
whatever way you desire to worship, it's the same God, just by different names. And uh, uh, that uh, we're all worshiping the same God, and, and the way you worship him is what? Good works, okay? And so you don't need Jesus because good works get you to eternal life. Uh, but that, we already pointed out, that's not Christianity. And any church that teaches that hasn't read their Bible carefully. Uh, they, and that they have a false sense of pride and security that they are good. Even Jesus said, uh, when someone uh, called me good, a uh, good teacher, Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And uh, he was saying, you're a sinner, buddy. Uh, you're calling me good teacher, but you don't know what good is. All right, only God is good. There aren't good people out there. There are sinners in need of a savior. And that's why uh, Jesus was saying, I am good because I'm God. That's why Jesus, it was good. He didn't have the sin of Adam uh, as his inheritance. But uh, uh, so uh, there's that temptation to try to be kind to other religions. Well, the way you're kind to other religions is tell them they need Jesus. Okay, If you meet a Hindu or a Buddhist uh, or a Muslim... Uh, don't say, well, I'm glad you're devout, you know, or that you you pray five times a day. That might be more than some Christians do. But that's not getting you to heaven. Uh, You need a Savior because you're a sinner. And no matter what religion you're in, God gave you a conscience, and you know that you're sinful. And it's not going to be like that Muslim guy I met who said, uh, God forgives those who deserve it. Okay, Uh, we all deserve judgment and the wages of sin is death. And so uh, the best thing we can do for a non-Christian is to alert them to the fact that they're a sinner in need of a savior and that Jesus is that savior. Uh, We're not kind to them by just saying, oh, I'm glad you're spiritual or, you know, or you love God or whatever. Uh, Even Jesus said uh, to the Jews who wouldn't follow him, he said, if you knew the father, you would know me. Okay, Uh, if you don't believe in Jesus, you don't believe in the true God. You might call him the same name even, but you're not believing in the true God, became a man, Jesus Christ. And and, uh, there's one day coming when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so uh, there's only one God, but we get confused. And uh, uh, if you read the Old Testament... Uh, one of the main problems, why did they get thrown into captivity? Was because they, uh, the, again, mostly the men, I presume, married heathen women. Okay, They went out and got their wives from the neighboring countries. And then when they got a, a wife, you know, well, she's pretty influential, so we'll bring her gods into our house, her idols. And they would combine their, Christ, their Jewish faith uh, with the idols of the nations around them. And uh, what did God say? Oh, yeah, they're all worshiping me their own way. Did he say that? No, he sent them all into captivity because of their rebellious heart. That they, he says uh, here um, in the second verse that he's, in the second command, he's a jealous God. Uh, He doesn't allow for worship of false gods. And all the other gods are false. And so we ought to pray for the Hindus and the Muslims and uh, the Buddhists and the the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons and others who don't believe in the triune God of the Bible, Jesus Christ, the Son, God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, uh, because they, they don't know the only Savior of the world, and they need to come to him. Uh, but to, so it's the same problem today as it was then. 
They didn't think it was any big deal to bring in some idols into their house. Now, we would think that would be awful. But instead, we say, well, you know, they're just as good as we are, or their religion is just as fine as ours. And you think God is not offended by that? He says, I'm the only God. Don't give any other gods any credit. Don't, uh, you know, mock me so you can be friends with some people. Tell them the truth. And, uh, and you're really their friend if you tell them the truth, not go along. But so there are other religious groups. I think even the Catholic Church has a, very much a danger of this in, in its leadership, uh, where they uh, have a couple of the popes have had peace conferences, and they have all the leaders from all the religions come together and pray for world peace. Well, you should not affirm other people praying to false gods and say, we're, you know, we're all praying together. Uh, we're not together. We're uh, either following the true God or we're insulting the true God by worshiping false gods. And so uh, that's why it says that there's no fellowship of light with darkness, that we, uh, you're either following Jesus Christ uh, and those who are not will be judged because they haven't believed in the name of the only Son of God, the Scripture says. And so Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He said it, and he rose from the dead. I believe him. Okay, And then uh, Peter, uh, and the Catholics ought to get this because it's Peter. They're, they think he was the first pope. And he says in Acts 4.12, he says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Only Jesus Christ. No under name under heaven. What does that include? The whole world, doesn't it? Okay. It's not, there's a different God over for India, a different God for China and for Africa. Uh, you know, I sent different representatives. No, that's baloney. That's man's ideas. Uh, God's way was there's only one payment for sin, so there's only one Savior, and it was God himself who laid down his life on the cross for you and me. He loves us that much. He loves the whole world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever in the whole world believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. No other name under heaven. So somebody tries to tell you, well, you, you know, you're pretty uh, narrow, and, and uh, uh, you know, that's kind of uh, arrogant of you to say only Christians get to heaven. You know, that's what they say. And am I arrogant? Well, no, I say, you're arguing with Jesus. Go argue with him, okay? Don't argue with me. I don't think I'm the only way to get to heaven. He's the one, okay? And you argue with him. If he's wrong, then you're right, sure. But uh, let's say you come out of your grave three days after you die. You won't. And so he has the credentials to say, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one. No one comes to the Father but through me. All right, so the second uh, command is, you shall not make any graven Im images, carved idols that you see around. You see Buddhas around someplace. Some people think it's fashionable to have a Buddha in their yard. You know, and, uh, and we take these things lightly, but that's an insult to God. When you put statues of other things to worship, is the key here, the worship. Uh, statues of things that you made with your hand. He makes jokes about it in Isaiah. You know, they think they're making a God and, and the God has to be formed by them. <laughs> what kind of God is that? 
And then uh, Elijah and the false prophets of Baal, he says, you know, what's the matter? Is your God in the bathroom? He can't hear your prayer <laughs> to uh, consume the sacrifice? Is he asleep? You know, why isn't he answering uh, you when they had that challenge on, uh, there on the mountain? And, and uh, God consumed Elijah's sacrifice, but the prophets of Baal uh, then were killed because of false worship. They're, Baal wasn't a, the true God. He wasn't a God. And it was idolatry, and it broke the first commandment and the second commandment, uh, that we shall have no idols to worship them. And so, uh, for, for uh, you know, people have grown up in a culture where idols are stupid, uh, you know, other cultures think it's very important, your idols, you know, and some of our ancestors had these little statues they put up in their, in their back room or whatever for their worship. And uh, uh, this is an offense to God. But we, we're not used to that. So what do we do? Well, our temptation is put something else in God's place. Our house, our family, our car. You know, something else that we honor as much as we ought to be honoring God. And worship that instead of worshiping God. Putting him first. Worship means to give honor to him. And, and put him in his rightful place. And his rightful place is not number two in your life or number three or number four, is it? His rightful place is on the throne of your life, that he's in charge. And whenever you put something else in charge of your life and your attention and your imagination and your uh, desires, uh, then you're committing idolatry. You're putting something else in the place that God deserves to be. And so we need fathers who realize this and honor God before any other interest or pleasure they have in life, that he's number one. The third commandment, uh, you shall... Not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And uh, again, uh, in vain means uh, use it uselessly or as a curse word. And people do that all the time. And uh, we get to the point where we're calloused, you know. Oh, my God, people say all the time. Are they talking to God? Are they honoring God when they say that? Are they thinking about God? No, they're just using an expression most of the time. And then they shorten it. OMG now is the initials that you use. Okay, Uh, be careful. God even wants his name to be respected and not to take it lightly. I've heard Christians who, you know, they just pick up the jargon of the day and they don't think anything of it. But uh, we need to be careful about using God's name and uh, not using it with respect and the honor that his name deserves. And so uh, that's the third commandment. The fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord's, of the Lord your God, in it you shall do no work. For in six days, and and this is interesting, here's another reference, you know, some people say, well, it's Genesis that we learn that God created the world in six days, and that word could have been ages instead of days. And uh, there are Christians who believe a variety of things about that, of creation, of how it happened, how God did it, and... uh, it's believing in Christ that saves us. So, uh, you know, we can't say everybody that doesn't agree with the particular view we have is wrong. Uh, but uh, when, if they're trusting in Christ, that's what's going to get you to heaven. But it, is it interesting that uh, Genesis chapter 1 describes it as six days, evening and morning, that God created the world. And here in Exodus 20, it says it again, doesn't it? Okay, it says, for in six days, God created the heavens and the earth, and that's why we worship on the seventh day. Okay, and uh, 
again, we come into some interesting things as we study these things. Uh, we actually don't worship on the Sabbath. And so even that is, is something, again, this is not a legalism. It's a benefit. Some people uh, don't uh, take any day for a day of worship. And some people say, well, every day is dedicated to God, and that should be true too. But there is a place for rest and worship set aside. And so uh, the Sabbath day was switched from Saturday, which was sundown uh, Friday, to sundown Saturday was the original Sabbath, to the Lord's Day, which is Sunday. And if you ever studied that, you, you know, I didn't realize that initially myself. And, and uh, you study it and you find out they switched the day of worship. Well, what would make you switch such an important day? Uh, the resurrection did, okay? The fact that the, uh, the tomb was empty on the first day of the week, on the Lord's Day, that they began worshiping on that day. And so uh, many and most probably in Christianity try and carry over the principle of the Sabbath into Sunday, that Sunday is the day that we respect as a day of worship and rest. And uh, again, you know, Christians like to cut corners. You know, what can I do and still uh, follow the Sabbath day? Most of the time I'll go to church Sunday morning. Then in the afternoon I'll do whatever I want. Uh, But uh, uh, here it says we'll benefit. You know, people who work seven days a week, 24 hours a day, I've met some. And... uh, or 18 hours a day. They just work. They pour themselves into their jobs or whatever. Uh, they miss out on so much of life. And uh, they don't get more done. I think it's wonderful. One of the great examples of this verse is Chick-fil-A. And uh, I don't know if you like their sandwiches. I think they're okay. But, uh, you know, you see the cows on the signs, eat more chicken. Okay, and go to Chick-fil-A, and then the city of Houston bans Chick-fil-A. Why? Because they're run by Christians, and they, the president of Chick-fil-A once said he believes the family is a man, uh, that the marriage is for a man and a woman, okay? And that got him in trouble to the point that cities, uh, the airport in, I think, Houston now can't have Chick-fil-A. Well, every place else has it. They're, they're booming in business. Had a, uh, a man who was in one of my churches, who's a minister now, and his son was working uh, a couple of summers ago for Chick-fil-A in one of their newer restaurants, and it was, it was doing great. Uh, their average restaurant does about $3 million of business a year, and this one was doing about $5 million. So the president came and visited them and told them about it, and uh, he said, and I, don't, I haven't looked up these statistics to find out if they're true or not, but anyway, he says, McDonald's, which does business seven days a week, uh, brings in about $1 million a year per store. He says Chick-fil-A, which does business six days a week and leaves uh, Sunday off so that its people can worship God, uh, they do $3 million a year average business. And so they're not losing money, even though they're taking a the day off every week. And even if you go on the highways and you see the signs for the restaurants, it says Chick-fil-A and underneath closed Sunday. Uh, on the interstate. People know that uh, if you like Chick-fil-A, you're not going to get it on Sunday, and the purpose is to honor God. And so uh, that's a principle, and I think it applies to all of us even in our life. Uh, I've come across, I came across a candidate for U.S. Senate who wouldn't, candid- who wouldn't uh, campaign on Sundays, and he wanted his wife to go with him to all the campaign stops, and his campaign team said, you're crazy, <laughs> you know, you're going to lose this election. And he was even behind in the polls. It wasn't that he was way ahead. 
he was behind like up to 20 points, I think, up near the election day, and he won for a U.S. Senate seat and uh, because he honored God in his campaign. He had become a Christian not too many years before that, and he wanted to honor God in his campaign. And not every Christian practices the Sabbath the same way. And we realize, you know, it's not exactly the same because it's the first day of the week even, not the, the uh, last day of the week that we uh, honor God. I had a student that w- went to uh, uh, college and uh, was a very good student, but she felt led of the Lord never to study on Sunday, okay? And uh, that's a pretty big uh, uh, step for somebody who's in college to say, I'm never going to study on Sunday. I'm going to honor the Lord on Sunday and not make it a day of work, but a day of rest and worship. And, but she did fine. And so uh, what you give up for God and what you do for God, he blesses, all right? And uh, in this, the same way with the tithe, you know, we think, well, how can you make as much money if you give 10% to God? Well, he blesses the 90%, and it goes a lot farther than the 100% would have gone if you kept the 100% for yourself. And the same way, your six-day week is going to go farther in what you're going to be able to accomplish, and, and the value of it to you is going to be much better than if you worked seven days and ignored God on, uh, and not giving him one day. That's the principle of the scripture. You honor God, he honors you. You don't honor God, you miss out. All right? what, do you, what are you going to decide? And so it says, remember the Sabbath day. Then we go into number five, honor your father and your mother. That's great that we have Father's Day and Mother's Day. Uh, we won't be able to do that very long with the confusion in our culture. Uh, parents' Day, you know, parent one and parent two or whatever they want to, crazy people want to call it. Professing to be wise, our universities fit into Romans 1. Professing to be wise, they became fools and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. That's what's happening, all right? But we still know what a father and a mother is, okay? And uh, they have different roles, by the way. They're not the same. There's even some churches that try and say men and women are exactly the same. They should be doing the same things, Uh, not according to the Bible. He made them Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, okay? And they're different. And and, uh, so we're to honor fathers and to honor mothers. And that has a blessing on our lifetime as well. You shall not murder Uh, and uh, commit adultery, marriage is in jeopardy. And somebody said it, uh, you said it in your leading the singing of how, uh, I think you did, about how valuable a good marriage is. And uh, uh, John Paul Getty was a billionaire, one of the early billionaires in the oil industry. And he wrote in his uh, biography, he said, uh, I wish I had one happy marriage instead of five divorces. His billion dollars didn't buy him a happy marriage, okay? And uh, what's really important? What's really of value? He wished he was you and me if we have a happy marriage. And here he had, you know, the billions of dollars. Uh, so uh, adultery violates marriage, doesn't it? And it's, it violates it no matter uh, sexual morality. God designed special for the marriage bed, which is undefiled, a man and a woman committed to each other for a lifetime. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Lying. Uh, we find lying becoming too prevalent, I would say. And uh, we don't know who's telling the truth anymore. All right, It's sad. Breaks down a culture. Breaks down a marriage. Breaks down every relationship. If you can't trust the person, what do you think? I mean, that's, and, and actually in the Quran, uh, 
It does say, it gives an excuse for lying to get your way. And so uh, when I was talking to this Muslim guy, I didn't know if he's telling me the truth or not. You know, he's just trying to make me happy or whatever. So I take his, what he said with a grain of salt. But uh, uh, lying destroys relationships. It destroys trust. And our culture is, uh, is corrupt with lying so that people don't trust anything anybody says, even our you know, law enforcement and others. Um, that need to have trust and respect um, unless we have that standard of integrity uh, then it breaks down that's why it's in the Ten Commandments okay bear false witness and then finally you shall not covet your neighbor's house your neighbor's wife his male servant or his female servant nor his ox nor his donkey nor anything that is your neighbor's and covet that's something you do in your mind okay God sees your secret thoughts that's why the standard of perfection isn't you just didn't rob a bank or kill somebody. standard of perfection is you didn't think about it and want to do it, okay? And you didn't want to commit adultery uh, in your mind because God sees in your mind, and even that's going to be uh, what you're judged by unless you've trusted Christ as your Savior. Then the slate is wiped clean, isn't it? What a blessing because our slates are pretty bad, especially when we think even our thought life, he knows what's going on. And when we've thought an evil thought and made it ours. I mean, there's temptation. There's a temptation that comes into our mind. But when we make it ours and we say, yeah, I would like to do that, or I think that's a good idea, and it's from Satan, uh, then uh, we're guilty of sin. Sin starts in the mind when we accept a a temptation and desire to do it. Uh, That's what the Tenth Commandment is. Some people say, uh, Jesus, when he talks about... uh, Hating is equating murder, and lust is equating adultery. He was coming up with something new. They forgot. There's commandment number 10. It says what's going on in your mind can be sinful, and God sees it, and that's part of the judgment. That's part of the reason why all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Commandment number 10. Okay, well, that's some thoughts, reflections. Uh, If a father will take these seriously and live it out, uh, and, oh, and my last illustration, and this is the, this is the illustration that came to me uh, that uh, I think is a great illustration. And I didn't read that part of the verse. Let me go back. Uh, bear with me. I overdo my time here too many times. But <laughs> you're gracious about that. But uh, I read it, but I didn't emphasize. It says at the end of verse 4 there, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me. The sins that fathers allow to come into their lives affect not only themselves. The point here being, your sins, if it just affected you and you said, well, I'll take the punishment for me. That's not what sin is. Sin is a lot worse than that. When Adam and Eve sinned, it affected the whole human race. The whole destiny of humanity was affected because sin is so bad. It's a rebellion against God. And when you sin as a father or mother or grandparent even, uh, it doesn't just affect you. You think it just affects you. And, well, I'll take some consequences for that. 
It affects the third and fourth generations down the line. And the good things that you do can make an impact and a much broader scope than you can even imagine when you do the right things before God. It's not just your own life that benefits. It's everybody around you because people are watching and people are, are observing and following leaders who will stand for the truth and stand for righteousness. And so I, I give this illustration of four generations. And they didn't all... Uh, follow the spiritual leadership of the first one, uh, but they all followed some characteristics. And so we, we know how, you know, even the, the uh, mannerisms and other things, your kids pick up what they watch as well as what they hear. And so you got to be careful uh, of not only what you say, but what you do and how you do it. And uh, realize that you're making an impact, not just on yourself. It's not just you who are uh, being affected. But uh, there was four generations of a man named Hiram Bingham. Hiram Bingham the first, Hiram Bingham the second, Hiram Bingham the third, Hiram Bingham the fourth. Hiram Bingham the first, he was uh, from Vermont, and uh, uh, he uh, was a Christian man who got the burden when the, uh, the American missionary movement began uh, around 1800, when America, the uh, college students caught the vision of reaching the world for Christ. Americans started to become missionaries around the world. Hiram Bingham from Vermont was one of the first ones, and he took a group of about 25 uh, missionaries from New England on a five-month journey around South America to go to the Hawaiian Islands. And uh, uh, they had heard from an orphan boy who had been on a merchant ship and ended up staying in New England in the house of the president of Yale, Timothy Dwight, who led him to Christ. And he said, my people are lost, and they're going to go to hell unless somebody tells them about the gospel. And so the word got out, and these uh, college-age young men were getting ready to go on missions. Hiram Bingham from Vermont, he took the group to Hawaii, not even knowing that they were going to be, if they were going to be cannibalized. Uh, Captain Cook discovered Hawaii earlier, and uh, on his second visit, he was killed and mutilated. And so they didn't know what to expect, but uh, they received the gospel. And Hiram Bingham put the Hawaiian language into writing for the first time. He started their school system. He started their churches and their modern government as a Christian missionary uh, from New England. And then Hiram Bingham II was born. They had son, the family. Hiram Bingham II had that same name. He became the first missionary did the same thing in the Marshall Islands and the Gilbert Islands in the Pacific. Went in, learned their language, put it into writing, started their schools, started their churches so that they could know Christ as Savior. And uh, uh, the modern history of those areas traced back to these missionaries who came from New England. Hiram Bingham III, uh, one source said he got tired of being a penniless missionary's kid, okay? It's not a rich job to be a missionary most of the time. And uh, he got tired of that, so he... Uh, he married into the Tiffany fortune. Okay, he immediately became wealthy. And, uh, but he still had that adventurous spirit that his father and his grandfather had shown of exploring. And so Hiram Bingham III, he became the uh, professor and explorer from Yale University and National Geographic who discovered Machu Picchu, a famous uh, site in, uh, in Peru. And uh, uh, that is listed as one of the sites that you ought to see in the world today. 
Machu Picchu was an Inca site uh, hidden in the mountains that had gotten lost for centuries. And he discovered that. And uh, one source said uh, because he was so adventurous and made that discovery in this primitive area uh, that he was the model for, for Indiana Jones, uh, the professor explorer, okay, who, who risked danger to do his thing. But uh, anyway, so that was Hiram Bingham III. He later became the governor of Connecticut and the U.S. senator from Connecticut and just all kinds of things this guy did. Uh, but uh, some of the characteristics of the father kept coming down. And then Hiram Bingham IV, who never named uh, Hiram Bingham V, okay? He had about nine kids. None of them got, got that terrible name because his father had been a governor and senator, explorer, professor. How could anyone give somebody that kind of a name? So, but Hiram Bingham IV also did some amazing things. He, he was a diplomat in Nazi-occupied France. And he forged documents that helped 2,500 Jews escape the occupation of the Nazis in France. But because he was uh, violating America's neutrality in that war, at that point in the war, he was demoted to Latin America. And when he got to Latin America, he found the Nazi connection in Latin America, and uh, they ignored him when he reported it, and so he quit. He went back to Connecticut, never even told his kids. It wasn't until he died in 1988 that his kids found these papers behind the fireplace that told about all these Jews that he had helped escape. And uh, movies on the History Channel and exhibits in the United Nations have been included, Hiram Bingham IV, in them. And then uh, Robert Bingham, who's in, uh, one of the sons of Hiram Bingham IV, he decided uh, his father was so impressive uh, and, and what he did to uh, uh, fight the Nazis, uh, that uh, he deserved a postage stamp. So in, uh, he petitioned the U.S. Postal Service, and in 2005, they issued a postage, uh, set of postage stamps with six diplomats on them. One of them was Hiram Bingham IV. And so uh, the tradition, even with the same name, they had some of those same characteristics that spilled over from father to son to grandson to great-grandson. And... Uh, uh, that's what we need to realize. When we live our life, it's not just for ourselves; It's for God, to, the, to glorify God. But it's also to make a positive impact on the people in our lives. And uh, you don't know how far-reaching the impact might be. But you just need to be faithful to God and to take these standards. And while we don't do them perfectly, they're the goal. Be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do praise you and worship you. You are the perfect God of heaven, and we have all sinned and need the Savior, Jesus Christ. Out of your grace and love, we can all be in heaven, regardless of our sins. And we still stumble and fail and need your mercy day by day. But Jesus paid it all, and we give you thanks for that. Help us to live a holy life to please you and to influence the people around us in a positive way, to not neglect the spiritual dimension, the spiritual leadership, and to think that uh, little sins here and there don't cause consequences. Sin is much more serious uh, than we like to think it is, and it impacts so many, and help us to resist temptation in the power of your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your Spirit that we might not only live a holy life, but also be a witness for Christ who came and lived and died for us and rose again, in whose name we pray. Amen.